Get ready for school. That's what's wrong, man. Come on. It's adults in the room. <clears throat> thank you, thank you, thank you indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Mario Hemsley, and I'm pleased to be here tonight because tonight represents once again an extension, an extension of some of the things that have been going on live around here because we've been being creative, Victor and I. My buddy, Victor Allen, had the idea to share with this world of ours, the experience, the life journeys of some very important people because what they go through and what they went through continues to be part of the challenge today. Hence, Victor's new idea for the series that we call Oracles. Vic? Yes, sir. Tell them all about your, your idea there, my brother. Yeah, I was inspired by somebody messing with me named Bridget. Um, she kept bugging me, telling me I owed her money. So I said, I'll come up with a new show idea. No, that's my five seconds and it's done. I'm going to be honest with you. I've, I've followed Reginald and his crew. And I'm not talking about in the way you think, but the body of work and what they've done. And being exposed to events where you go out, and they're being promotion and, and, and all that engaged in the promotional product. The one thing that I found that people needed was a lot of questions of direction. And sometimes you get direction by experience. And so I said, pretend like I'm the guy out there and I want to talk to Reginald. I said, I have a, a number of questions, but I want your experience because it's more inspirational if I hear somebody talk about what they went through. And it's always to me a success story in failure and in success. Hence why I said we need to have something where these these individuals who we admire are really leaders. And we're in Los Angeles. There are a lot of places to be at. Oracles is the first thing that came to mind because I believe I want to tap into their brain. I have a lot of questions, but really he has all the answers. So I just want you guys all to welcome this man here, Reginald T. Dorsey. The man that I believe, you know, as many others, really go on in a quiet way, demonstrating their body of work. But sometimes you just need to sit them down and tap into their brains. And I didn't know any other way to do it, so Bridget helped me. She helped me. And I want to give thanks to her because uh, it was really her coming to me saying, I have something and somebody for you. So I hope this turns out to be a launching of something that's new. And people look at the example and listen to this man and his body of work. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest, Reginald T. Dorsey. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, uh, it's amazing. I've just met this man. And already I can tell you that his personality is magnetic, charming. So I'm already, you know, sort of psyched up to hear about it because it's a rough world, right? We've been hearing lately. It's not a new problem, right? The issue of bias in Hollywood, and it's not just Hollywood, and so many of us undertake professions which are inherently, we know, to be biased and uphill battles. But you have those who continue to pursue, who seem to have that aura of growth. What's the secret? Reginald, tell us a little bit about what makes you know you and how you managed to come through this. Don Cheadle, I read an article about him today talking about how Hollywood eats you up and he's still able to smile. <laughs> yeah, how, what is it? How, I mean, what is, what is the process that you go through, my brother, to allow you to maintain at least the head that people need to survive in this world? I really think it has a lot to do with uh, a calling, to be quite honest with you. And, and before I really go into that, um, I feel like I'm in orbit right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so from this point on, I will be referring to you as Captain Mario. <laughs> I told him it's a wild thing. Here. Yes, sir. You know, and, and again, you noticed the person. Thank you, Reginald, too, for yes. making us feel uh, welcome here with you. No, it's, and, it's, and, and let them know, too, Reginald, we love to hear about the past because the, mm-hmm. the present doesn't exist without the past a person like you doesn't develop in a vacuum right there's experiences that led you to those things so please you know let us know again what what uh what what led to you well you know when i was a kid growing up in texas 
Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What yeah. part of Texas? Yeah. Dallas. <laughs> Dallas, Texas. I'm a real Dallas cowboy, by the way. Okay, all right, all right. So, um, you know, growing up, I was, you know, would watch Westerns on TV and, and you know, different programs and was drawn to, you know, a variety of actors. Um, Sidney Poitier, of course, uh, James Edwards, and a number of other talented actors of that era. And something just sparked inside of me. You know, whenever I'd watch TV, if I was watching a Western, uh, I'd watch what the Cowboys were doing in the movie, and I'd do the same thing that they were doing. i start to, you know, impersonate them. I had a little hoppy horse that Bridget always likes to tease me about. <laughs> you know, when she worked on my bio, I told her how I would ride this little hoppy horse like, you know, I was going somewhere. And if they got shot, I'd fall off too. <laughs> you know, that whole thing. And really, it just it just snowballed from there. I started doing uh, plays in, in elementary school. And really not knowing that you could make a career out of it or get paid for it, you know. It was just something that that I had a passion for at a very young age. So from there, um, my family moved to San Jose, California. Um, Now, how was that as a cultural change? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I I grew up in a predominantly African-American neighborhood during the 60s in Texas. And, um, you know, probably had really only been called, and can I be blunt? You can say yes, but you can say every word. Well, I had only been called nigger one time. Right. And that was in kindergarten. And I knocked a little white kid out and never had a problem from that point on. So moving to San Jose after my parents had, had divorced and going to elementary school there, was certainly a cultural shock because it's different from here. San Jose is a unique. Oh, even back then it, it was kind of cowtownish, but it still had the other progressive. Yeah, San yeah. Jose stuff. We used to drive yeah. up. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. In in the east side of San Jose, right, is, right, is, right. is where it's happening. Right, right, right. But right. The, but the west side because <laughs> <laughs> they had immigrant kind of community yeah, right there yeah, the farm yeah, working yeah, kind yeah, of folks yeah 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 but they also had a pocket of racism that was no joke oh yes you know and uh, after a while I think my middle name was nigga you know isn't that amazing because California is supposed to be the liberal right right and you, you know, say in, in Texas you only got called what right you know and I think it has a lot to do with Blacks and whites really having to deal with one another on a more regular basis in Texas and kind of growing up together, you know, whether or not somebody's family had worked for somebody else's family. The relationship was established. The the familiarity was there, you know, that you just did not get in San Jose, you know, in the part of San Jose that I grew up in. So, uh, you know, I did a lot of fighting. Um, I mean, I would literally fight two and three cats at one time to give my sister a chance to run home, you know, that kind of thing. Right. right. And eventually, you know, um, it's not anything that I'm proud of, but I certainly had no problem defending myself. And um, as my reputation grew, then, you know, those things started to settle down. Right. And, um, you know, it was cool for the time that I spent there, but I left home at 16. You know, I couldn't wait to make a move. And uh, L.A. was the place to be for me. You know? no, let me try to clarify that point. So you came to L.A. Yeah. At the age of 16. 16 years old. From San Jose. Yeah. <laughs> from San Jose. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I have to laugh, everybody, because from San Jose, that's cultural shock number three. Yeah. Because San Jose is not L.A. Right. By any means. Right. <laughs> How but was that, brother? Being back here was like being at home in Texas. You know, I I found a a great group of people, you know, that uh, I was able to build friendships with. Like, what did you do? What did you specifically do, Reginald? What did you hop a bus, a train? What did you... A friend of mine's family was moving to Pomona. And so I moved down to Pomona with them. And every day, you know, I would ride the bus up from Pomona to L.A. looking for an agent. And um, as time went on, you know... Two or three months here, I finally got an agent after walking Hollywood Boulevard, you know, every day at 16 years old. Got an agent, did a couple of commercials, put away some money, 
uh, went back to San Jose, you know, told my mom that uh, I'm done with school, you know, dropped out of high school at 16, 17, and um, eventually got my GED, which she made me get, but I was really done with school at that point, and not that I don't advocate education, but at the same time, I knew what my calling was, and um, I'd already done my first film at 13. I'd gone back to Texas and just so happened uh, a gentleman had some information that he was able to share with my mother about a film that was being done in Dallas called Book of Numbers. And um, my mother took me to the audition to do some extra work. And the director and producer at that time was Raymond St. Jacques. And uh, Raymond opened the door for me, started taking pictures of me from that point on. That's really kind of... Now, how old were you then, Reginald, I at was, that point? I was 13. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's what really opened the door on a professional level for me to uh, to find out what this crazy business was all about. And uh, made a lot of really good friendships. You know, and I like to tell people all the time that that movie pretty much spoiled me because I had a chance to see African Americans in front of and behind the camera. And when I got to from Hollywood, from the beginning, from the beginning, which this is a distorted view of Hollywood. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And like I said, it messed me up because when I got to Hollywood, I didn't see any of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, that in and of itself was a was a huge hurdle for me to have to finally wrap my mind around. You know, the fact that now everything was really going to be about work. You know, and how do you overcome those obstacles along the way? And so um, I started studying, you know, at different workshops, uh, the Vanmar Academy being one of them, where I had a taskmaster of an instructor by the name of Ivan Marcota. And, uh, you know, he really prepared me for uh, the challenges that I would face in this business and, and just, you know, made me pretty much um, able to deal with just a number of different situations. You know, it was boot camp. Because you're a boy in a man's situation. Mm -hmm. So, Reginald, coming to L.A. from San Jose presents a bunch of opportunities for you to make the wrong. Oh, absolutely. The wrong decisions. Absolutely. How did did you manage? Uh, My mother would like to say that I I have an old soul, you know. Um, She really prepared me for life you know, uh, beyond my years. And so I was pretty much aware of of what I was up against in terms of this being a big city and all. Right. You know, and I know game, you know, and I pretty much always known game and and really kind of had that, that, that instinct in me, you know, to recognize it. So... Um, I didn't find myself in a lot of, you know, negative situations. When I saw negativity, you know, I'd make a move to go the other way, you know. And it was there, no doubt about it, you know. Um, But at the same time, uh, that too prepared me for being able to draw from those different experiences and be able to take that over into my work as an actor. How was it that Raymond St. Jacques, was able to, because I mean, this is your opinion, of course. Being, mm-hmm. being a, how were they able in those days to deal with the inherent prejudices, you know, the bias, still get their work done? I mean, and he, obviously, and be inspired enough to continue to struggle right. at it, right? Right. Cause, so, how how was it that you know? I always like to hear how the old guard dealt. Mm-hmm. How was mm-hmm. it? What was the things he would tell you about? One thing that I think was so prominent in terms of, of their beliefs and, and what they practiced was that coming out of the, the 60s into the 70s, you know, we had to depend on one another. You know, uh, whether it be via the civil rights era and, and everything that that involved or just a sense of community because we knew we had to, we had to rely on one another. And um, I think a lot of that really helped overcome a lot of the challenges in the 70s. And it really wasn't about waiting on Hollywood to provide an opportunity. Okay, okay, okay. You know, that spirit and that sense of self was already there. And thank God that I had a chance to be a part of it because I carry that with me today. 
You know, um, it's not about sitting around waiting for somebody to do something for you. We already know what the challenges are in Hollywood, but how can we still find a way to do what we need to do? So that was my main focus, and that's what I got from Raymond. That's what I got from all the other um, key people on that particular project and, and various other projects that I was able to work on, you know, during the 70s. So tell us a little bit about that intermediate. I'm going to work up to the present because I'm going right. to ultimately have you compare. Right, right. You know, the highly, the days, the time, because things have changed. Things change in all industries. Yeah. They change, some things stay the same. But mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about those early years now after you got down here right. and you were starting to get into your career in Los Angeles. One thing that is noticeably different today is that um, talent was taken a lot more serious. Um, you know, people really looked at you and, and wanted to, to find out about you. And, you know, they took an interest in you. You know, it was hands-on. Um, as opposed to today, you know, um, you're making a funny video and the next thing you know, you're on a TV series or something. Right. Um, and, and, and people could sense whether or not you had the longevity in you to carry on a career. Um, that was one of the things that I think, you know, Raymond saw in me, you know, it, it, instinctually. You know, he knew that there was, this was something that I wanted to do. And, you know, God rest his soul, uh, before he passed away, I was at a party um, at Shirley Ralph's house. And uh, it was a New Year's Eve party, and he walked up to me, and he said, out of all the people that I've helped open the door for, you've made me the most proudest. <laughs> I you know, know that must have felt yeah, good. Yeah, it really was. And this was, um, you know, shortly before he passed away. So, you know, just to have someone recognize that in me, um, I try to find that in other people, you know, that I like to open a door for. And um, that's really one of the most significant things that's changed over the years, is people um, not only can recognize talent, but also are open and, and, and really working to develop that talent. Because, you know, no man is an island, and you really want to build a community around you that can sustain whatever the vision is as a filmmaker or as an artist that you're trying to share with the rest of the world. So what would be the exact worst things to come here with as an attitude today? Because, you know, young folks, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure you run into right, right, right. Young folks show up here all the time. Right. You know, we meet them, and they have their yeah. own view and vision. Yeah. Well, they, we all were young. Yeah. We all were young, and that yeah. implies some I, I, I think I think the difference between me and a lot of the young artists today, you know, who are coming to Hollywood, and, and I hear it all the time. Oh, I'm going to come to Hollywood, and I'm going to kick its ass. You know, I got a plan. I know what I'm going to do, you know, and that type of thing. And you get humbled real quick. Uh, and one of the things that has helped me sustain a 44-year career is the fact that I was always a sponge. I was always open. I was always willing to learn. And, you know, I, I respected the elders. I respected those who had paved the way. And uh, I was willing to sit down and take counsel with them, you know, and and really listen and, and watch. Um, whenever I could put myself in a situation, if they were on a set working as a director, producer, or even as an actor, um, I'd go to the movie sets and I would just watch and study, you know, and pick up what I could from them. So... I think development and training has a lot to do with with what needs to continue to take place today if you really want to sustain um, any sense of longevity in this career. And, um, you know, I think that's what, what a lot of young artists really need to, to grasp if they want to continue to have a career for any extended period of time. Comments coming in from uh, social media. One of the questions coming in is, what's the most what thing have you done that you're the most proud of? Now you mentioned the comment from Raymond mm -hmm. St. Jacques when he told you. What what other thing have you done would you say you're the most proud of? Whether it's big to other people right. or not. Right. Um, it always makes me feel good as an actor when I know that I've touched someone in a way that has inspired them. Um, when I did the film South Central 
um, I had a number of brothers who had served time in prison, you know, come up to me and actually thank me for giving them an opportunity to see how they could turn their lives around. So when you wrap your mind around the fact that, you know, you actually touch somebody in that way, it, it, it allows you to, to really understand that what you're doing has power and you have to be responsible with that power. And um, that and, and my last film that I did, Kings of the Evening, was uh, a, a, a tremendous um, opportunity for me as a filmmaker as well as an actor, but um, one that I was really able to, to kind of sink my teeth into and to share a part of, of the African American community's history from a historical perspective. So, so actor, director, producer, mm -hmm. your view changed. How do you look at the machine that is Hollywood today? <laughs> I mean, I mean, do you think? I mean, you had a view when you came, you yeah, know, and yeah. you have this view today. And right. you, whatever it is, you managed to survive and endure. So, right. to that obvious credit, kudos, my brother. Well, thank but you. I, but I, but our impression of the machinery, whether it be the United States of America. Right the banking system or whatever, right. Hollywood up in there is a huge industry. How has your views of that machinery changed okay. or morphed over time? Well, I appreciate that question. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Mario. <laughs> That's just wrong. That's just wrong. Well, this is the kind of stuff you know that you want to hear to me right. from the brothers you want to hear, you know, because well, they grew like we grew. You know, Richard Pry had a saying, uh, you know, about the pressure of America and the pressure of, of, of some pockets of white folks in America, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of uh, how pressure would black folks come together. Right. You know, and really that's what it was for me to become a filmmaker. Um, I literally got tired of waiting for jobs. And I got tired of people wanting to pigeonhole me into just doing one type of work. And I knew that the only way for, for, for me to fulfill the vision that I have for myself as an artist was to either create my own work or surround myself with people who were like-minded. And so I decided to do a little bit of both. And uh, that's really how you know, I became a filmmaker, um, writer, director, producer. Got to ask you a little side segue, not to go into it too deep either, Reginald, because it's too controversial, but I am curious. Vic and I covered the whole issue with uh, Zoe Saldana okay. doing the biopic that's coming up mm -hmm, on Nina mm -hmm, Simone. A mm -hmm. lot of different viewpoints, you mm -hmm. know, and again, the older brothers have a little different viewpoint because that whole argument that went on in the past about who's black enough, are you black right, enough? Right, right, right. Just and without getting you in too much of a hole, because it is a big controversy, what is your take on that about Zoe Saldana? The whole issue of the Nina Simone biopic, as it relates, I'm talking about how your history and your perspective right. Right. as a black actor. Mm -hmm. How does because you you're right there in front of it, you know right. the biases. Here's Zoe Saldana. Mm -hmm. What is your take on this whole thing? As what's important, what's not to take home. Here's the 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 elephant in the room. We have to tell our own stories. We have to be the creators behind our own stories by any means necessary. I cannot blame Zoe Saldana for wanting to stretch herself as an artist and to take on the story of Nina Simone, the life of Nina Simone. Um, and, you know, in terms of where there are other actresses out there who might have been, you know, as qualified or more to do it, uh, of course there were. But at the same time, um, I would not in any way belittle, you know, her for wanting to to stretch her wings as an artist, and and getting that opportunity, taking it on. Haven't seen it yet. Um, you know, I pray that she does a fantastic job in the film. Um, and you know, that's that's really what it boils down to for me. I mean, it was an opportunity for her, um, and she would have been probably crazy not to take it. You know. Um, but at the same time, you know, you had um, a white female director behind it that did not open up 
the casting opportunities as as it should have been. And so those are the kind of things that yeah, that we have to take into consideration. And just to take it a step further, I think that today a lot of blacks don't take advantage of different casting opportunities as well. Because you see a number of the same actors over and over and over again. And, you know, again, I've been in the business long enough to know that there is a wave of, of talent out there that's not being tapped into because we still feel like we have to please the masses as opposed to just doing the right thing. You know, and when I say the masses, I'm talking about the studios and, right. you know, the the financiers and what have you. But, um, you know, if we can take a page out of a white filmmaker's uh, playbook, then a lot of times we have to get up and walk away from the table until we can make the type of film that we want to make. And until we take those kind of stances, you know, you're going to get the same uh, of a lot of the, a lot of the same talent. Right. Um and that's again that's why I became a filmmaker because I've been on both sides of the equation and I've had a chance to see uh a lot of talent that exists out there that wasn't getting an opportunity and um you know we took advantage of it with Kings of the Evening see there you go well I wanted that perspective it was a big controversy around here I can tell you my viewpoints are very similar to yours. Unfortunately, I went and looked at the trailer, mm-hmm. and they did her makeup so horribly, they right. make it like a Frankenstein. Right. So now they went and... <laughs> see, they complicated. That's I told somebody. They complicated by doing a hard... And plus, you know they had a paid consultant somewhere. Yeah. There's a brother who was telling them, don't do this. Yeah. And they ignored him. Yeah. And they ignored him. Now, the Vic brought up an interesting point just before we move on. Vic brought up an interesting point. What if they had an actress who was darker, would it be okay to lighten them up? And I said, well, when they do the Lena Horne biopic, does that mean we automatically exclude every modern black actress because none of them are light enough right. to play Lena Horne? Right. What are you going to do then? Right. And it's a slippery slope like... <laughs> yeah, and and here's, here's something else that i like to point out on Kings of the Evening. Um, as an example, in comparison to the Nina Simone story. Okay. The director and executive producer of that film were white. When I initially got a call to go in and audition for it, I was not signed early on as a producer. Um, I was being looked at as just one of the actors for the piece. And I told my agent at the time that I was not going to audition for it. It was an independent film. And... You know, I, I felt like I could contribute in more ways than just being an actor on it. Hmm. So he hmm. immediately told me that I wouldn't get the part if I didn't audition. And so I said, well, let me handle that. And I went in and um, told my future partner at the time that uh, I wasn't here to audition for him, that I simply wanted to have a conversation with him about the film. And if he was interested in me being a part of it, give me a call. Two weeks later, I got a phone call. He and I had a meeting. He sat across from me. He said, what do you want out of this project? I said, I want to be one of the stars of it, and I want to produce it with you. And from that point on, we took off running and never looked back. And you stuff enough, you were actually told not to ask for that. You were told not to do that. Right. You, you were right. You were advised. Right. Right. <laughs> and 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 you know, for me, it, it was just one of those. I mean, wow. because the piece, in and of itself, was such a beautiful piece, but I still felt like it needed to have a black voice, be a part of the production side of it, in order to give it the authenticity that it needed. Right. And the only way that that could happen is if somebody like myself or another African-American filmmaker was a part you know, of that process. And that's the mistake that they made on the Nina Simone I, I, story. Obviously, because all yeah. you have to do is listen. Any filmmaker who wants to deal with another culture, you would think they would not discount yeah. that culture, right. but they would investigate. This is where the old biases come in, where a lot of old Hollywood, they actually think they know black people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. oh, we know, oh, we can yeah. do that. We know, we know. This. And the truth is, you really didn't, and you don't. And still don't today. And still don't today. Yeah. And it's the biggest insult, and it's the biggest mistake that Hollywood consistently makes. Because, you know, they'll turn around and say, well, you know, black 
films um, you know only have a certain reach in terms of an audience the films don't travel overseas and yada 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 but all of that is a bunch of bullshit you know um, the African American culture hip hop in particular travels worldwide internationally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you can't tell me that it's just the music you know, we as athletes travel worldwide, and you can't tell me it's just sports. So why wouldn't it 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 travel? You know, in terms of of acting, in terms of Certainly. directing, in terms of producing, and in terms of sharing our stories, that at this point, you know, have really yet to be told on a grand scale. So that leads to my next question: Where is the head? of today's enlightened, progressive, black actor, director, producer. <laughs> Where's the head? Yeah, what's, what's, what's on their mind? You know, there's, there's always something, right? So yeah, with all that in mind, and here we are today with the state of Hollywood, increased sensitivity, because when we were younger, nobody cared. Right. So it's already better that there's a sensitivity on mm-hmm. the part of white America right. even, of how stories have gone untold. That's unprecedented. I keep reminding people that when we were kids, no one cared. Right. Now you have a different... Now you still have some of the same old mm-hmm. crap out there, mm-hmm. but it's a different world today, Reginald. Yeah. So where is the head, the mind of today's actor, director, producer, in terms of thinking, what does he need to do? What is he trying to do today? What do we need to do today? First, you need to have a spiritual connection. Hmm. Because that in and of itself will sustain you. You can't be fearful in this game. You know, um, I'm sure at various points in my career, there have been whispers of me being blackballed or, you know, not being able to work because of this or because of that. And I continue to work. You know, I continue to carve out my niche and, and my own lane. Um,. And you have to watch where you, you know where you contribute your power to. So for me, that's with God. That's that's you know that's a spiritual thing for me. And I don't look at any man as a roadblock. Um, I don't look at Hollywood as a roadblock. Um, if there's a will, there's definitely a way. And so for me, that's what keeps me grinding. That's what keeps me working. And that's what keeps me. Um, able to to create opportunities not only for myself but people that I respect so no angry black man what's, what's amazing let's be real Hollywood the world I guess even I expect people who work in these industries to be angry mm-hmm. bitter mm-hmm. hostile mm-hmm told you I read Don Cheadle's article right. and that's not what comes across and he's right. been dealing with it all along yeah. you too so mm-hmm. would that be the answer Reginald because you don't seem I mean you you're obviously aware and you have a level of consciousness that comes through but you don't seem to be angry right of all the stuff you've had right, to deal right, with right 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 and it's been a lot trust me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know for me it's a waste of time to just walk around being angry, I have to put that energy somewhere. And so for me, I put it into creating different projects. I put it into finding the right group of people that I need to associate with that collectively we can do some things together. You know, um, those challenges are always going to be there, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's you know from an ancestral perspective, we've always been able to find a way, no matter what the you know the obstacles were. I'm sure, you know, and I tell people this all the time that during slavery, I'm sure that there were people who were like, we might as well just be slaves because this ain't never gonna change. Right, right, right. Somebody had to say to hell with this. That's right. You know, a whole bunch of people had to die trying in order for that change to come into fruition. And so for me, that's the mindset that I have to have, you know, in order to keep moving forward. So you got things to do still. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All day, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> Reginald, 
So the challenge for many of us today, and we deal with this regularly, is the constant change in the nature of the media. Television itself is a relatively young industry. I always have to remind people this is a young industry. It hasn't been around for long at all. And things are changing. And now you have Twitter. Mm-hmm. Now you have YouTube. You have people, you have print media that's gone through the biggest shakeup ever in right. their history where things are changing. Right. Constant change. How are you, first of all, how do you feel about it? How are you dealing with it? I absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. You know, I have a direct connection to my audience. Um, I don't have to wait for a project to come around and then do publicity for it. I can right. create my own publicity, right. you know, um, every day. You know, I can, I can stay in contact with my audience every day. You know, as opposed to sitting at a desk writing a thousand fan letters, you know, I just hit send and send out a message and it reaches everybody. You know, so I absolutely love it. And um, it allows me to to create followers and, and fans that when I do do a project, I know that I can immediately tap into. And, you know, we start to move. We start to, you know... Um, support what what I'm doing or what another artist is doing, and so for me, um, it's it's a great thing. Uh, How about your peers? Let me just say this: as long as you keep some of your business to yourself. Okay. Hint. <laughs> <laughs> Hint. You know, there's a, there's a lot of information out there that we don't need to know That's about. Right. That's you know, right. but. Um, you know, you have to walk a fine line and, and, and maintain your dignity, maintain a sense of self, and, um, you know, really just, 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 you know, keep it transparent, but not to the extent that you tell your audience everything about yourself. Because by the time you do do a project, what's going to create an interest in you if they know everything already? So I have to save some for myself. Upcoming projects. Just finished working on a huge, huge music video last week. Huh. Music video? Yes. 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 Huh. Yes. That I was consulting on, and I actually make an appearance in it, and uh, it's for a huge female uh, artist. Huge. You heard me say that. They have three times. <laughs> huge, times. huge, huge. <laughs> Wow. And uh, it should be dropping in about two or three weeks. You know, they made me sign a, a non-disclosure agreement. You know, not to talk about it before it drops. But um, when it does, uh, you know, I, I think it's really going to, again, not only inspire people, but um, allow her audience to to see a part of our culture that hasn't really been. Um, shared to the degree that, that it needs to be shared. And so I was just really excited to be a part of it and and hopefully make a significant contribution on it. What do you think, considering all that, what do we need to see from our public? We don't... Not that we're going to get it, by the way. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, those of us who are out here trying to spread the word about things that we do mm-hmm. we did we have dreams also mm-hmm. we have dreams about how the public might receive us mm-hmm. what are you looking forward to in terms of potentially reaching the new people and new audiences especially with the fact that you could gather an audience in right. parts of the world that have barely ever seen you before right what are you looking for Reginald what are you hoping for I'm looking for some unity I'm looking for for black men to respect one another respect the women I'm looking for black men to start loving one another and and stop the violence. Um, You know, if we we don't do that first, then there is no future. Um, And there's just too many situations that are going on throughout this country with everything else that we're dealing with as a community um, that we have to stop and check ourselves individually, daily. And so for me... um, if we can focus on that, everything else falls into place. Um, the way that we treat one another, the way that we 
are accessible to one another. That's important to me. It's important for us to work together in order to create, whether it's it's artistry, um, you know, or or just businesses, you know, on a daily basis. Um, it's it, there's so many different things that because of um, the historical perspective in terms of what we've had to deal with as a community, that we've forgotten that it's important for us to remember that we did work together at one time. You know, we did spend our money in the community. You know, it did travel a hundred times before it left the community. You know, we actually had doctors and lawyers and, and teachers and people who we could admire and, and we supported and we were proud to send our kids to them. You know, and then somewhere along the way, oh, I don't want to deal with them. You know, um, it was looked down upon. It was it was lesser than, you know. And we've always had that power. We've always um, had a sense of self and a sense of community. And it's 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 for those of us who are willing to speak up and to shed some light on it. It's time to get back to that business. That's what I'm about, you know. And that's what I want my audience to be about. If you like what I'm doing, be proud enough to go out and share it with the rest of the world. You know, um, that's what I do for people that I admire, for people that inspire me. The four people in my life, some of whom I've had the opportunity of meeting, Nelson Mandela, hmm, okay, Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. um, Minister Farrakhan, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, let me see. People like uh, 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 um, my sister, my sister from the bus, Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, you know, it's it's people like that 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 I still draw from, in terms of inspiration, in terms of of um, what we need to do to to just stay focused and and continue to do what we were put here to do. You know, not only for ourselves, but for our community. Wow, Vic, you know, it's interesting we talked about oracles, right? Right. I told you. It's going to be easy. Because, you know, Reginald, the idea was what we were saying, you know, people have stories. The individual stories are so pertinent because we can relate. People people actually kind of want it to be easy. Mm -hmm. They want to hear that you just walked in and it happened. They don't really think that how many years you started preparing for this before you were 13 because you was working at it at 13. Oracles, we said, because the community needs to hear the stories about how we make it and how we're moving forward. Like I said, I'm proud because I'm sitting across from a man who's been working hard at this, and he's not bitter. He's not angry, but he is focused, and he is aware. Mm-hmm. And that is a different energy of the soldier <laughs> who gets to march forward. Thank so you. thank you, Reginald. That's, that's inspiring to me here. Thank you. Oh, and, it, and, it, and, 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 and I can't forget Dr. King as well. Oh, yes. And Malcolm X. Oh, yes. Wow. yes. These are the people right. that whenever I think about the difficulties of what I'm going through, I look at what they went through, and it it drives me, you know, every day, every day, and um, you know, the, again, um, even today, I, I surround myself with people, you know, that are about community, that are about making great works of art. So it's not all just parties in Hollywood then, Reggie? Oh. It's not just all? Been there, been there, done that. I ain't gonna lie. I can tell you some stories now. There's one actor, and, and I'm, I'm not gonna put him on blast, but he used to be on a TV series called What's... Anyway. Oh, man. And he knows, when he sees this, he knows exactly who I'll be talking about, but we would start on Friday... And he had a house out in Malibu, and uh, we would pack our bags, and we wouldn't come back till Monday. And he had a pool in the front yard. <laughs> and if I could tell you who would be at that house from Friday to Monday, boy, I could write a novel I'm trying to tell you 
we had some parties. Well, so they get to be like, so that's part of the story too. They get to be some rewards. You got to be careful. Oh, no doubt. But no there doubt. are those rewards. And like you said, it's funny, you came back to spirituality. Yeah. yeah. To keep you on a straight and narrow oh, course. No doubt. And, and you know, the great part about the struggle is that in spite of what we were up against and still are up against today, we still find ways to have fun. You know, I had a couple of buddies that they had done uh, a soap opera for two or three months. Okay. And this was back in the early 90s. And so they put their money together and they're like, you know what? If we don't ever get a chance to do this again in life, we're going to rent a house in Malibu. And for the whole summer, we partying. <laughs> and I'm telling you, Halle Berry, Wesley Snipes, myself, and the list goes on and on and on. That whole summer, I had a key to the house. We partied the whole summer. You know. Y'all wow. pay attention. <laughs> yeah. You know, I told Reginald, I said, when we first came in, we were talking to him, and I was telling him, some of the things that you all even don't know and that how Vic and I spend hours sometimes discussing, pondering what is our role as developers, who, inventors of this platform, what is our role, we struggle with that. When it came to like this issue of the show with you mm -hmm. it's one of those ones where I get to say okay, I get to pay some dues on this because I'm looking for stuff right. where I can pay some dues, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. show the people this kind of a thing hopefully we're hopeful and I want everybody to understand that Reginald ends up being the beginning of the first of a flow of individuals because what we're trying to do here is bring everybody out there them our, our ulterior motives are to build community that's pretty much it right and we're looking to connect old black Hollywood, young black Hollywood with Hollywood and the other folks of the world because these again are the stories that didn't get told. Mm -hmm. You need to hear the stories because it'll affect you as the audience how you look at today. You look at the struggles that go on the racial issues that are boiling up today with a different perspective when you understand the history behind it. They don't happen in a vacuum. Right. So my hope is that you Reginald today are the beginnings of folks in that world that you have to mm -hmm. recognize that they do have a friend Absolutely. in internet television. We're not sure what we're doing, really, <laughs> but we're going to do it with you and for you and all those things with the right spirit. But I have to say, uh, just man to man, thank you for coming here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And making it's us feel uh, this way. Everybody, that's, I would give, let's, let me give you some applause. That's mm -hmm. our guest. Reginald C. Darcy. Yeah. 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 Now, Reginald, uh, where do, do you want them to, to find you somewhere? Or? Absolutely. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, which I'm still trying to navigate my way around and learn how to really build an audience on. But I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Reginald T. Dorsey, uh, Instagram, Reginald T. Dorsey, and I also have a fan page on Facebook. Mm. Uh, my personal page is full, but definitely hit up uh, my mm. fan page and uh, blow me up because uh, I'm doing this for y'all out there. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> hey, Vic. Yes, sir. So, Oracles. Yes, sir. First show. Yes. Season premiere. Mm -hmm. Reginald T. Dorsey. What do you think, my brother? Oh, no, I, I just get out of the way. I, you know, it was to me, it, it, it's the definition of unscripted is reality, and true reality is let knowledge flow. I didn't even get to get to half the questions I wanted to, and I said that I'm going to be sitting here silent because she's going to share it. And and one of the questions, if you do decide to come back, would be the one we run into all the time. So many people think that once they see the finished product with what you do, they just say, "I want to be an actor." Right. And I've always said, what is the first wall you run into in reality? Okay. And how that leads you down your pathway. And we can hold that for the next time. Okay. Keep everybody just short on it. Because and this is so many experiences that have yet to be told, especially on your behalf. And, and let me say this real quick. There's a brother that I just saw walk in, and he's standing behind you. Yes. Come here. <laughs> That's the man. He knows me. There to be our lasting value. <laughs> This is he. Yeah. We got all the hot happening brothers. If, if the cameras are still on, <laughs> this brother was down in Austin, and he acted as as a liaison for us when we were shooting Kings of the Evening, 
and just ran a lot of interference for us and, and, and really helped us make the production of Kings of the Evening what it ultimately became. But he's also in Kings of the Evening, too, I think. In your and I didn't know that small film, world. Right? Yeah, small yeah, yeah. world. <laughs> this so. is the brother that together we were calling ourselves the inventors right. of Internet television. Right. That's, this is the association right here. It all yeah. makes sense now. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> God bless us all. Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been the season premiere of the Oracle. Reginald T. Dorsey, Meredith Beal back there, lasting value. Marlon Hemsley, Victor Allen, we're here bringing you the heroes who do the everyday work in our communities. And once again, I thanks to them. Thank you for tuning in. And I thank you guys as well. (laughs) Peace, everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crazy love, it's a crazy love